there's a part of me that was crushed in my formative years being let down by some trusted people in a very intimate way. And so that affects me. Part of being in relationship with you is my interest in you trusting me enough or trusting this um, partnership enough that you can be really messy and get through some of these things that are affecting you. My name is Andy Horning, and this is Elephant Talk. It's a show about all things relationship, the soulful, the silly, the stormy, and the sexy. Welcome to episode 31. This will be our last episode of season two in 2017, and we'll resume season two again on January 2nd of 2018. Today we look at trauma and relationship. We all have trauma of one sort or another. It may not be capital T trauma, but it does nonetheless impact our communication, our relationships, our ability to trust and love one another. Keith and Annie have been together for a number of years. Their partnership is full of risk, full of adventure. And like so many of us, childhood trauma is also there as well. And it forces them to look at how they relate to one another, how they connect and communicate with one another. I don't ride it as much as I used to, but I got a motorcycle in 2006. Always wanted one as a kid, and and even though it wasn't practical, you know, because I can't take the dog on it, but I loved it. I love the feeling of it. It has something relating back to, to, to being a kid, I think, of mm. not being able to have one. Or My parents did let me get a moped, and I got it taken away with, within <laughs> 12 hours and was banished. They didn't know that I put over 2,000 miles on it that summer that I was banished <laughs> from. I just would do it at night. So I love that sense of that freedom of doing something I don't think I'm supposed to do. And every time I get on, the first 30 seconds is that euphoria of sneaking out of the house, you know, and the ultimate freedom. Nobody knows where I am right now. You always, though, have been open to sharing that experience with me, and you were concerned about getting me the right helmet and getting me the right jacket so I would be comfortable and be able to ride with you. So my experience growing up was that my dad, you know, was pretty overprotective, and the two things, well, there were many things that I wasn't supposed to do, but two of those things were riding on a motorcycle and also on a snowmobile. And we had a family member also on my mother's side who uh, was in an accident, a motorcycle accident, and it was very tragic. So this was something that I really never felt like I was allowed to do or really, frankly, wanted to do. So when I met you, I um, was fine with the fact that you had a motorcycle, but I really didn't have any interest in getting on it at first. And then we planned a trip to the Grand Canyon National Park, first maybe driving in the car, but that switched after some discussion to getting there on your motorcycle. And I was really scared. But the funny thing I'd like to also say is that there's a part in me that I like that feeling of sneaking out of the house and doing something that I'm not supposed to be doing, that we share that. And I didn't know that 
I didn't know that that's what the motorcycle was. Yeah. One of the things it was about for you. It was April. We live in Colorado. We had a couple of campgrounds set up. We had sent a box of yeah. stuff to the Grand Canyon Post Office. So mm -hmm. we were definitely going there. So, you know, beautiful you know, shorts and T-shirt the week before and then the week of our departing. We woke up to a winter storm warning. Yeah. I remember standing by the kitchen window looking out. You were packing up, doing the final preparations. Uh, and I remember thinking, I can't do this. I am not going to do this because, A, I'm scared of traveling 500 miles on the back of a motorcycle, which I'm not supposed to do. And we are leaving in a winter storm warning. I was wearing <laughs> I was wearing socks and then plastic baggies That's over my socks yeah. and then tennis shoes. And I wanted to cancel. I didn't want to go. I was really afraid, but I knew that would let you down. That was an intense moment. I don't remember you telling me that you didn't want to go. No, I, think I was prepared I was crying for it in, in the my kitchen. head. I was like, I had to say I was scared too, but I didn't want to <laughs> let you know that I was scared because then I thought it would, you know, if you really put your foot down, I was ready to put everything in the truck and, and go. go in the truck. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you didn't. Mm -hmm. So, so then there was part of me that I was like, well, dang, if she's not resisting, then I got to go through with this too. <laughs> I, I remember that. Like, yeah. um, so we set out in that snowstorm like Dumb and Dumber. But I was going over the like worst case scenarios in my head. And I think you said which probably made me feel better. You know, we're just gonna we're just gonna give it a try and see how it goes. And so I felt like if it was horrible, we could always come home. By the time we passed Rifle, Colorado, which is about 50 minutes from our house, we were frozen solid together. Like, we were soaking wet, and we had to stop. I don't know if you, you probably didn't notice, but I was riding with my visor up in, uh, in that sleet because I couldn't really see anything. So right what made there. you keep going? I guess it goes back to ego. I didn't want to miss a day of our vacation because I think we had planned to get all the way to Monticello. Right? Yeah. Part of me thought, like, once we get past Glenwood, I thought it would lighten up and just be wet, and it, it got worse. It and got worse there's a part of me that better. doesn't like to admit failure. It doesn't like to give in. A lot of times it does well. You know, it does good for me to not give up and not quit, but sometimes it, it can lead to peril. Situations of peril, <laughs> slight peril. The slush when the cars would go by yeah. and yeah. throw up that slush, yeah. you know, that was I scary. Remember. That was very scary. I was nervous, you know, was I pushing it? Was I making you do something you didn't want to do? And then and when you didn't say, at least to me, mm -hmm. uh, then I thought, well, I can't back down now. I can't be the one who says, nah, let's mm -hmm. just scrap it. I'm glad you didn't back down. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad we did it together. And the rest of the trip unfolded beautifully. We had so much fun. I think we do vacations really we well. Do. It was just a rocky start. I forgot the part where I didn't really tell my parents what I was doing because I was scared to let, tell them that really struck me. I don't know if you know this, a long time ago, my first wife, we had plans to get an apartment together. And uh, when she called her parents to tell them that, they said, no way, you can't do that. And I don't remember the threat. It had something to do with the wedding or not walking her down the aisle. Mm -hmm. She was distraught. And I just remember that, like, that really it made me angry that here I am 
and, and this relationship. And yet her parents are there, right? <laughs> With like, who am I relating to? So you were angry. Did you feel angry? So I didn't want, it well? wasn't angry. I just didn't want that to happen again. That's something that I'm working on. Two things come up. I didn't want my parents to worry because they worry. But also, I did know that it is about you and me, and I've been told that before by therapists that I've worked with. We are the family now, you and... You are... You are my family, and you are my priority, and it's not about... My relationship with my parents is very important, but um, but it's you, it's you and I who are um, the most important people in the picture. And I, yeah, and um, I don't know why I got teary-eyed yeah, about what's that. Yeah, what's going on? Hearing that, that's like, you know, the dog catching the car finally. Like, you know, I love hearing that, that I'm a priority. Yet there's also a part of me that's like, oh, man, I'm the priority. I mean, thank you for saying that. I, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is your is your emotion about the separation from your parents or? I don't know. Well, I just feel conflicted because I care for you and my parents equally. Because I don't have that relationship with my parents. This came up in the car yesterday too. The fact that I haven't met your parents, mm-hmm. and that I feel like I would really like to. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering how you feel about that. Well, there's how I feel about it, and then there's the reality of it. I wish it was easy, like, all right, we'll just take a trip there. And then I don't have that. It's not mm-hmm. It's not available. Mm-hmm. And there's also part of me that gets annoyed. Like, you don't need to know them to know me. I'm not stupid to say that nothing that I am is, you know, because of them. I, you mm-hmm. know, I'm a lot because of them, mm-hmm. both good and bad. All my good habits and all my bad habits, I've... I've worked on those myself and <laughs> created those. That's that's all my handiwork. Parents aren't on my radar, and for you, they are. They can go without me, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering. Talk about awkward. Could I, what do you think about that? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Again, you're the priority, not your parents. Even though I would like to meet them, you're the priority. Your feelings are the priority. So I feel like I need to be respectful of that. I feel really lucky to be uh, developing a relationship with your sister. And I'm glad that we get along so well. And she shared, actually, her thoughts and feelings around us not uh, connecting with your mom and dad and how hard that is for her. And also how hard it is for your mom. And I feel that Parents may not always do the right thing, but I think they're deserving of a lot of respect. Your mom is really very sad that you don't have a relationship. And that makes me sad. It does. Okay, I hear you. Mm -hmm. I hear you loud and clear. Think about it. Probably every day. Yeah, I, th- I think respect is two ways, and um, it's not—it's not a gift, you know. It's—it's it's earned, you know. It can start as a gift, but the maintenance of it is earned. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to hear you say you think about it every day. I was—I was the bad kid, 
you know, and still feels that way now. I'm mm-hmm. breaking up the family. We can't all be together. We can't. Oh, Keith, I hear what you struggle with. I hear how complex it is. I am also conflicted. Like, how much did I push us or you to reconcile or not? And trust that our family doesn't have to look like other families. I don't ask you, actually, because I don't want to hurt you or bring up a sore topic, but I am interested and I do care. Maybe that's what I want you to know. I believe you. I know you do. I wish I could figure it out even just for me. You're listening to Keith and Annie sharing some of the fun and creative ways that they find to communicate around difficult subjects. We have a habit that we talk very lightly about some heavy things, or mm-hmm. when one of us gets triggered, we we have these automatic joke games that we go in that mm-hmm. we start laughing and and brings us back. Humor definitely helps me get through some of our hard times, and I feel like if we're laughing, then things are okay, even if the situation hasn't been resolved or I might be angry about something or you're upset. If you crack a joke, that's a signal to me or for me that we're still okay. You know, there's love there behind the jokes. I really enjoy that. We also, oh, we also, we communicate important things to each other. through. I use birds, the birds that are outside, and you use Muppets. I made two sock puppets for when your niece and nephew were visiting, and they were Patriots. <laughs> they were Patriots football player puppets. Well, kids use puppets, right? When they go to therapy, they often use puppets because mm-hmm. that's a great way for them to express mm-hmm. their feelings. And I think that's just another joke that's between mm-hmm. us, that maybe I mentioned it one day or actually did maybe talk about my feelings <laughs> using the Tom Brady <laughs> sock puppet. I felt, I felt conflicted. Like, it's Tom Brady, but it's a puppet. But I do want to hear what Tom Brady has to say. But it's a puppet, and right. Tom Brady's telling me about Annie's feelings. I'm really confused. <laughs> There's a more serious part of that, because um, I, I know that you feel and experience so much more than mm-hmm. you often say. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I want to find balance between mm-hmm. letting you speak your mind or not speak your mind. Mm-hmm. I sometimes hear you slamming things and doing things. and um, mm. that's, I, that's not me. That's the puppet. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Tom Brady. Okay. All right. Well, it's good to know. All right. See, I've been, I've been displacing my emotional. I should be mad at the sock puppet of Tom Brady who lives upstairs in the guest room and only and comes out to support you when you're upset. Okay. I thought I mistakenly thought that was you. But I know that I'll take over something and just say what my issue is about something and. And I know you don't, and so mm-hmm. I would love to find the place where we're meeting in the middle. You know, I sometimes feel like I'm being asked to decipher and ask you 20 questions so that you can get your feelings out. But then there's also mm-hmm. a part of me saying we're both adults. Mm-hmm. And if you want to say something, then you can say it. I mean, the birds and the puppets are funny, but I also mm-hmm. hope you will say what you want to say and, and get my attention if you need my attention. And mm-hmm. I sometimes do feel like an asshole, you know, where I'm like, something's going on over there, but she's not saying anything. That's a YP, you know, mm-hmm. not much I can do about it. 
Sometimes I wish you would say, Annie, I clearly notice that you are struggling with something. Will you please tell me what's going on? And then that might give me the permission. It scares me so much. To just ask me? Then I feel like the pressure's on me. That you can only speak if, like, you just use the word permission. Like, that just makes my stomach go in a knot. Mm -hmm. I want to be a partner in the relationship. I don't want to be the permission giver. Mm -hmm. Hmm. I want us to be adults and speak our mind. And and you often phrase it in that way of permission or allow. And because I I guess I have a fear of I am, could be a bossy person. You know, it could be... um, but the funny thing is, you do give me permission. That's a, what did you call it? Foos? Foos, yeah. Family of origin story that I don't ask for what I need. And you know this um, very well about me, that I don't feel like I have the um, permission to ask for what I need or that my needs aren't valuable enough that I can ask for your help. It's really hard and I'm kind of stuck there. And I know that that causes a lot of uh, stress between us. Mm-hmm. It but. scares me. I, you know, I don't want to be your parent. I don't want to be in charge of teasing out yeah. your feelings and teaching you how to speak. Uh, don't want you to do that. I feel like there is great potential um, between us to have the, uh, the relationship that we you know, both desire. I met you at work. Yeah, dream come mm-hmm. true. Yeah. <laughs> I just walked in one day. Yeah. It was work-related. Well, you were teaching. Yeah. I was teaching yeah. at the museum in art class, and there you were, wearing a green button-down shirt, short sleeves. And I thought you were pretty cute, and you looked very kind. And we talked a little bit about teaching, hmm. and I was interested in in learning more about you. Um, One of my resolutions that year was to say yes. You know, sometimes I get caught in the unknowing and my answer is, no, no, that's not possible. We can't do that. Uh Um, So that year I had said, all right, just say yes. But I had put Uh in my work computer on Outlook, a little chime twice a month, a little message that pops up and says, say yes. Uh And that day, Mm -hmm. that was the middle of November. And so it Mm -hmm. popped up as my, the 15th of the month of say yes. And I hadn't really said yes yet. Mm -hmm. So then the phone rang at 6.15 as I'm getting ready to leave, which I don't, I usually am smart enough not to answer the phone after we're closed, but I did. I, for some reason, I did, and uh, it was you. I thought you were yeah. out in the parking lot, but you said you weren't. <laughs> no, an hour had passed since I left the youth center, pretty sure. I don't know what I smelled like. I didn't shower. Like, normally, I would clean up and be prepared, <laughs> and so when you said, you want to go for a beer right now, and I was, my first thing yeah. was no, and I was like, oh, that dumb resolution. <laughs> so I was like, all right, fine. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah, we went and had a beer. Uh huh. And then a couple of dates later, we decided you asked me to go on a hike. Mm-hmm. And it was a hike that I had never been on before. <laughs> right. I hadn't been up that either. So, something that I think is so endearing about the two of us is that the day before the hike, we drove to the trailhead to scope it out <laughs> so we would know where we were going. Yeah. So we could be on time. I wasn't 100% sure where date. the trailhead was or where the parking was. I yeah. knew where the trail started, but I didn't know if there was parking there. Uh huh. So I didn't know you did that. that was, we found that out on the hike. Yeah. Right. 
And it was a hard hike. It was yeah. uphill. Yeah. It was hot. We were yeah. sweating. Yeah. But when we got to the top, you took out wine and cheese from your backpack, and we had a picnic. It was really sweet. And then something that I remember that makes me laugh about that hike is that I, well, that was our first kiss, I believe. And the way that went down was <laughs> I was sitting on a log that was kind of rolly and tip tippy, and I fell backwards and hit my head and was kind of like knocked unconscious for a few seconds. And then you <laughs> scooped me up. <laughs> Helps so me out. You pulled dazed. me up. <laughs> yeah. Like, and then you gave me a like kiss. A police report. And then you made the move. The I remember falling off. I remember you falling in the snow, but I don't remember them being related <laughs> like, oh, she's stunned. Go get a kiss. Can you? That sounds creepy. That's a total chachi move right I there. I didn't take it as creepy. Yeah. It was sweet. I was surprised. Huh. Mm-hmm. And then we held hands, actually, walking down. Do you remember that? Yeah. And talked about our families. Pretty early on, mm-hmm. we shared, shared stories about our our family of origin. I miss that, actually, Keith. Just being so open with one another the way we were when we first met. And I don't know what happened. Although we still have fun and we laugh a lot and we do share... There's still so much to talk about, I think, and so much to know and so much to explore. And I'll say I'll, you know, take responsibility for getting into the habit of, like, not really talking. I need that, actually, to feel connected. I miss that Keith, too. I mean, even before that, and I was a lot more playful, less serious. Your talk about the connection and how you like to have it or the way you like to have it. For, for me, I'm still figuring that out. There's a part of me that was crushed in my early years, being let down by some trusted people in a very intimate way. And so that affects me. There's a part of me that wants to dive in. I, re- I remember being that way, being a processor, uh, you know, talk about things forever and stay up all night and figure it out. And so I think the messiness of that scares me. It feels like a long, slippery slope. I want to know that I'm accepted without being the linchpin, without being the fixer, the doer, you know, the permission giver, the captain. Your emotion sometimes you know, frightens me a little bit, you know? Why? I don't have a good boundary. How can I listen I and not make all the things you're saying my responsibility to fill by mm-hmm. Tuesday at 3 o'clock? Mm-hmm. Like, I got enough on my plate. So that feels messy? That's feels the messy, messy and unmanageable. I heard you say connection means comfort to you, or connection looks like comfort, but what else? Acceptance. I want to know that I am enough even if I don't make all the phone calls, don't organize everything, don't, yeah. you know, don't fix your problems. Uh-huh. You know, can I uh-huh. can I still be okay and still yeah. be on the team if I'm, you know, mm-hmm. on the bench? Mm-hmm. Maybe I should make it clear that I don't I don't ask you to fix my problems. I don't expect you to fix my problems. I don't want you to fix my problems. Yeah. yeah. But if I need your help, I hope that I'd be able to ask you. Can you help me with this? Which is something that you've told me before helps you feel connected when you're asked. For me, connection happens at the table 
eating together. What I really mean deep down is sitting with you at the dining room table and having meals together and talking with you, even if it's for 15 minutes, is like really, really sacred. And we don't have it. It's funny. I, I wonder, like, am I leaving stuff on the table to block that from happening? Because I'm going to take the jacket out tomorrow. <laughs> so why go through all that to pay that? Well, why don't we take the puppets out and ask the puppets <laughs> what they think about? I, I do get scared. I do get scared with all that messy stuff coming out, you know? I'm afraid of what's in me. I don't know. Maybe I don't even want to look at what's in me. And so I'm afraid of opening up those doors because I think there's a lot of gunk behind it. I think I'm able to take your gunk. Yeah. I I want to know your gunk. I can't even think about it. I can't even like bring it to the forefront of my brain. It's too, too much. I'm the, the Wizard of Oz, you know, the the short guy standing behind the curtain moving things with the giant, you know, picture of Oz, you know, saying, ignore the man behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. And, and peeling back that curtain is, is, mm-hmm. is hard. It's hard. A couple of things are coming up for me. I've assimilated to the way things are, where you take your dinner most of the time on the couch watching TV, and I'll either join you just to be with you, or I'll take my dinner at the table. And I've just adjusted to that. But deep down, I know you're sitting on the couch for the reasons that you just said. And that I would like you to know that part of being in relationship with you or having a relationship with you is my interest in you trusting me enough or trusting this um, partnership enough that you can be really messy and get through some of these things that are affecting you. And I just want to say, like, I feel like I am a person who can handle that and you can be messy with me and we can grow that way. I just want you to hear that. Oh, it makes me feel sad. It makes me, you know, sad that my my uh, my Oz facade is not working. Um, sometimes I think I've had the same relationship, probably, you know, since like eighth grade, over and over again. You know. Well, I have a lot of hope that we can help each other bust through some of these issues that are holding us back. Although it's really hard to hear sometimes, I know you're asking me to evolve. And I want to, for myself and for you, to have a really awesome relationship. This conversation is so meaningful to me because I would love for you to bring that messier side of yourself to the relationship and let me show you what I'm capable of in relationship, too. And that I will stand by you and accept you and love you when you're really messy. Sometimes it feels I don't think I I could survive it. Letting it all out. It's too old or too big or I'd like to work on it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not always sure how to how to do that. Like if you ask me what I want to do with the stuff that's inside me, the feelings of being let down and disrespected. I don't know. I remember being a kid, you know, 
Mm-hmm. Um, being told I was someone who wore their heart on their sleeve, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you still are that. I see that in you every day. Part of the reason I created this podcast was for the very reason that Keith and Annie show in their conversation, going right to the elephant in the room. And there's a saying, you have to name it to tame it. And that's what Keith and Annie do in their conversation. Thank you to Keith and Annie for sharing their stories. For additional information and resources on this episode, including a photo of Annie with a sock puppet, please visit our website at elephanttalk.org. Elephant Talk is produced by Kim Paletti. Our theme music is by Rob Berger. Audio production assistance provided by Leslie Gaston-Bird and Josh Kern. Please review the show on iTunes. Your feedback is greatly appreciated. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Andy Horning. This is Real Love. This is Elephant Talk.